Matthew chapter 6, we're going through our spiritual practices. We spent the first month talking about spiritual formation, of how we go from being less Christ-like to more Christ-like, which is basically what Christianity is all about. Um, and, and we talked about the formation aspect. Now we're talking about the practices that are basically described here um, in the scriptures, Old Testament and New, that have also been fleshed out by our church fathers and mothers over the last 2,000 years, practices that have been helpful. Now, there's no guarantee anything. It's not that if you fast from food, God will give you what you want. These practices are not to control God. They're to make room for God in our lives. And so prayer, we're going to be talking about prayer today. And prayer is one of those things where we don't use prayer. Prayer is not God, something God has given us so we can control him and get him to do what we want. It's a very different thing. That's a very um, immature way to look at prayer. And, and though it's where most of us start, it just is not supposed to be where we stay in our understanding of prayer. So we're going to try and deepen that a little bit today. But let's pop those practices up just to kind of refresh our minds. Stillness, we talked about last week, um, Sabbath and fasting and these uh, silence and solitude, these times where we kind of try and get out of the busyness of life and just create space for an encounter with God. We called it, um, one of the things is a ruthless elimination of hurry is what is required for us to really um, create those moments of encounter with God so that our spirit can be formed by our time with Him. Um, but then we have others. Prayer we're going to talk about today, and there's the others that we're going to get into over the next few weeks. Um, yeah, so prayer. Prayer today. Uh, prayer is, is uh, different than, than stillness. Stillness, we kind of said, is kind of the slow life that God has called us to. Christians, we're called to be able to um, go from fifth gear to neutral. We're supposed to be able to just kind of pause and stay and step in stride with God. In our American mindset, we want to just be so good at Christianity that we're better than God at it. And it's, it's true, it happens all the time. The Pharisees were better at, at, at their Judaism than God was. And Jesus was like, dude, chill out. You guys are way overdoing this thing. Um, so we're called to this kind of slow. The, the God is not in a hurry. God is not busy. So when, you, when someone says, that, how you doing? You're like, busy. You're supposed to look cool. You don't look cool. You don't look cool at all. So prayer is really what we're going to talk about. And one of the people in our church that I know um, just does this beautifully. And I've been able to watch her and um, see her speak into our life and to our church is Colleen. Colleen, will you come on up here? Um, Colleen, yeah, she's definitely worth wooing and clapping for. This is Colleen McMahon, and uh, she many times has, uh, has emailed me and said, I was praying this morning, and I felt like the Lord showed me this picture, or I felt like the Lord brought this verse to mind, or I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you this. And I'll read it, and there's, I mean, it's, she's not perfect. There's only been like maybe two times out of like 50, but no, just kidding. But most every time... I will have just had kind of some executive direct meeting that what she's saying speaks right into it. It makes me think she's like bugged the room or whatever. Um, and it's just been so countless. And she oversaw kind of the organization of all the prayer around here for a season. And, and she prays for us. She prays for me, I know. She prays for you guys um, all the time. And, uh, and so I've asked her, as we're trying to get better at prayer, I asked her to come pray 
that we'd get better at prayer. So like to pray for our prayers. It's kind of weird, but um, makes sense. So she's here and she's also, I, I call her like our Samuel. So Samuel was a guy that was able to speak into the nation of Israel and give them guidance. And when they went with Samuel, they were blessed. When they went against Samuel, they were not blessed. But one of the things it says about Samuel is his words never fell to the floor. And that's really the way I feel about Colleen. She hears from the Lord and when she speaks, her words never fall to the floor. They find a way to hit their target all the time and it's because she has cultivated a life of prayer. So Colleen, will you pray for us that we would grow and develop and cultivate a a church of prayer as well? Absolutely. (laughs) Dear Lord, we just praise your holy name Mm -hmm. and we thank you for the great love you have for each person here. I thank you that as we begin to learn the purpose of your great gift of prayer, you will reveal to us the power it has against the enemy Mm -hmm. and the integral part it plays in deepening our personal relationship with you. Father, I ask that as we begin to use this knowledge in every part of our life with prayer, that this community will become a community with a lifestyle and a culture of prayer. Mm -hmm. Not only praying for ourselves, but praying for those around us, praying for our city, praying for our state, our nation, and the world. And so, Lord, we say no to anything that comes against us hearing and receiving the fullness of what David is going to share today. And over this house, I proclaim Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. For as we submit ourselves to you and minister to you, loving you and serving you, resting in you and believing in your promises, you will bring us to your holy mountain and give us joy in your house of prayer. Our offerings and our sacrifices will be accepted on your altar, for your house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And we say this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Colleen. Thank you very much. All right. So prayer. Um, prayer, we kind of titled it Relaxing into God's Goodness. Just like we did last week, ruthlessly eliminating hurry is something required for us to cultivate stillness. And to cultivate prayer, we've got to understand that prayer really is relaxing into God's goodness. And uh, we'll, we'll describe that more and more. But prayer can be confessional. It can be contemplative. It can be prophetic. It can be an intercessory. It can be prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of lament. These are all different ways that we see in the Scripture people prayed. And, and therefore, probably at different seasons in our lives, these should be things that we are practicing. Um, there's techniques to praying. We're not going to get into the techniques. If you want to get a little deeper into all of this, there's a book by Brandon Cook. Um, called Learning to Live and Love Like Jesus. Um, I showed it to you guys last week. But that's been helpful if you really want to go deep in a lot of these practices. But techniques for me, uh, I know journaling has been a really helpful technique in my prayer to actually be writing it out because my mind likes to bounce around and when I'm writing it, it helps me stay focused a little bit. Um, helps me keep track of what I've prayed for as well and then to see how the Lord moves in those things. Um, Jesus taught us to go into our closet to pray. So we kind of introduced that there's this private re- re- reality of prayer and there's the public reality of prayer. Um, there's the prayer of examine. is something that I kind of adopted during uh, January, our fasting series. I started to pray this prayer of examine. And basically it's 
It's just this idea of at the end of the day, you think back about all the kind of the significant moments of your day. So I, I woke up and I drove my girls to school. So then I'll, I'll pray um, about that moment in time. And then, and then I went to my first meeting and then I'll pray about that moment in time. And I'll pray, just kind of go recounting the, the things of your day and kind of inviting God's perspective and kind of sealing it up with some prayer um, has been kind of a fun practice for me. Um, we also have the liturgy of prayer and that's where, you know, in the Old Testament they had these calls to prayer. There were three different times where they were called to prayer, morning, noon, and night, where, where God was calling his people to come and pray um, to reserve those times for prayer. And one of the, the guy I was listening to talk about how he's been doing prayer. Um, the way he, he breaks that up is in the morning, he tries to focus on prayers that are much more like personal, kind of intimacy with God. Like, God, this is what I got. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm facing. And, and to interact with God there. And then, and then he tries to make prayers that are a little bit more um, for the, for the, around him, like gaining God's perspective. So at, at lunchtime, he'll go for a walk. If he's at work, he'll just go for a walk and use that time to pray. Or if he's at home, he'll walk around his neighborhood. And just kind of pray and listen and see what, what's happening in the world. And then at, at night, he uses a little time to do real intercessory prayer. Where then he goes and he, he basically kind of fights for the things that he feels like God wants him to pray for in prayer. So just some different practices, techniques. Those aren't the important things. Um, but we're going to look at the life of Jesus now, starting in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how Jesus prayed for his disciples, and then how Jesus also prayed in a time of real angst for his own soul. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen like others. They're like those pastor people that stand up in front of the church and pray. They're like that David guy. No, maybe not. Um, here Jesus is teaching basically on some different spiritual practices, and he's right now focusing on prayer. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, for us who've read this many times, it doesn't stand out as very powerful. But what Jesus is saying is, is extremely um, counterculture. Because in Judaism, there was this idea that God was super holy, super reverent. And if you even kind of looked at him the wrong way or said his name, you could be struck down dead. And in fact, if you wanted to pray, you needed to get all of your sins in order and make sacrifices and go through temple ritual just so that you could approach God. And this is the backdrop of what they're thinking. And not only that, but it would be better for you not to just pray right away to God, but actually to go through a priest or some sort of person that, that, that is holy and make your prayers to God through them. And yet what Jesus is saying to these people is that, no, when you pray, you should just go to a quiet, still, intimate place. And you should call him Father. Father. It'd be like saying when you start your prayers, Daddy. And this would have been so difficult for these people to receive. But he says that's the way you're supposed to pray. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he goes on to say, this is how you should pray in light of that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I want you to notice here that when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So with that in mind, with the, the idea in mind that God already knows, already is paying attention to you, already cares, has everything that you think you need in mind, you should pray this way. And then when he prays, it's not necessarily about a lot of needs or specific things. But it's a lot more about realizing who he is, that he's your father and he's holy. And realizing that he has a will of his own. And he has a kingdom of his own. And he has purposes and intention in your life and in the world. And so when you come to him, don't be thinking about all the things you need, but try and get your mind to start to consider what God's will might be. What God wants and desires in your life and in your world. And pray that his will and his kingdom would come and be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's this kind of realigning of our wills. It's not that we come to God and we say, what do I really want? What do I really want to pray for? What am I feeling? I mean, God knows all of those things. But when we pray, we should come and we should begin to say, hey, God, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you think I need? What are you wanting to do in this moment, in this world, in this season, in this trial, in this challenge, in this relationship? And then to pray that that would be the thing that happens. So prayer is a lot about trying to get our will in alignment with God's will. And we'll see that again. John 17. Jesus said this in verse 1. Or it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And this is how Jesus is praying in John 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now one thing to just remember about Jesus here. And if you need to send me an email later about this theological question, I'm fine with that. I don't mind theological email questions. I love them, actually. But one of the things that is taught in Scripture and, and kind of um, reinforced throughout church history with confessions and catechisms and all of that is the idea that Jesus was fully God and fully human. That basically Jesus was God incarnate it was he was fully fully god clothed in full humanity and what that means if you continue down that line of thinking as you look at the jesus's life basically he had all of the powers of god all of the deistic powers that he always had he never once got rid of them however he clothed himself in humanity which means that he never once used any of his God powers while he was here. It's a very important thing to remember about Jesus. Hard to believe about Jesus when you look at his life 
and what took place. But that's the whole reality of this incarnation. Jesus came to show us what it could be like, what it should be like. Jesus said to his own disciples, you will do greater things than I do. Jesus said at one point, if I wanted to, I could call down angels from heaven and they would do away with this whole situation. And yet he did not. Once again, alluding to this reality that he had the powers, but in his humanity, he never used them. And so when Jesus prayed for people to be healed, it wasn't that they got healed because he had God powers. It was because he knew what God was doing in that moment and through the power of the Spirit was able to bring about those healings and miraculous signs. And so when Jesus teaches us about prayer, it's again not like, oh, well, that's Jesus. It's, no, he's exemplifying prayer in the way it is. And what's so amazing is here it says, Jesus said to his Father, the hour has come. Somehow Jesus in this moment, right before going to the cross, Right after the Last Supper, he goes and he prays and he says, Father, the hour has come. He knew what was taking place in his life. He knew what time it was, so to speak. Because he had spent time with the Father and the Father had been telling him, the time is coming. The time is coming. And he'd been telling his disciples, hey, the time is coming. The time is coming. At one point very early on in the book of John, Mary comes to him, his mom, and says, hey, they ran out of wine and they got a bunch of water. Could you turn that water into wine? I don't know how she knew that he could do that type of stuff. We don't get a lot of stories before he's 30 years old. But somehow Mary's just like, hey, would you turn that into wine for him? And Jesus, what does he say? My time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come to do this thing. And what's awesome, though, is Mary's like, just do what he says. And Jesus is like, all right, here, sneak one out the back. He, did, he just kind of didn't. He knew it wasn't his time, but he still was like, bam, give one to the mama. Whatever. I love that. I love that. It gives me hope in my prayers, for sure. Be like, hey, Jesus, can I just throw up one of those mom prayers? Like, hey, what about one to Jesus on the side? Um, but Jesus knew. He knew. He knew what the Father was up to. He was guided by that continual Relationship prayer. He knew the will of the Father. And he knew that the time was coming. And the time had now come. And so he was able to walk in that. Not only does he say that, he says, Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. He knew God's purpose for his life. He knew what he was supposed to accomplish. And he was walking in accordance with that. It's what guided him above everything else. And then lastly, it says that I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So somehow he even knew that the work was finished. And the boldness in this prayer, it's hard again to separate our minds because it's like, Jesus, yeah, I mean, he's talking about take me back to the place where I was with you before the world began. But again, Jesus is not operating that mindset. He's operating with the same mindset that we have showing us a picture of the way that we could be with us in our relationship with God, where we can know what God is up to in the moments and in the seasons and in the difficulties of our lives. We can get God's will. That's what prayer is all about. And as we looked at last week, Jesus often withdrew to quiet places to pray. 
so that there was this constant, continual communion with the Father so he knew what was up in every moment of his life. And then let's look at this last one. Then Jesus, in Matthew 26, 36, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Just because he knew what God wanted doesn't mean he wasn't sorrowful and troubled often. And we'll see why he was so sorrowful and troubled in just a moment. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he went a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Here in this time of prayer, Jesus was realizing that in his humanity, what he wanted and what God wanted was in opposition. What God, the Father, was asking him to do, Jesus did not want to do. He didn't want to go through the pain. He was afraid. He was overwhelmed with sorrow. In another gospel, it says that it was so intense that he began to sweat great drops of blood. That's some serious stress. And there's two reasons probably why. One, because he didn't want to have to go through what the Father was asking him to do. And two, there might have been a real distress because it might have been one of the first times ever that he felt that disconnect, that he felt that he really was outside of that triune unity that he had always known. And it destroyed his sense of peace. The conviction was so strong and there was this wrestling match within the incarnate Christ but he knew the prayer that he was supposed to pray was, God, if there's another way, if you can sneak one on the side like I did for my mom, could we do that here? Yet, I'm committed to your will above my own. And then he went back. The disciples were sleeping, and he's like, man, you people suck. And then he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, and he's starting to get a little resolve. He says, may your will be done. And he, know, he knows what the Father's answering, whether it's through silence or whether he's actually telling him, no, you have to do this. And so he says, okay, your will be done. And then he goes to the disciples, sleeping again. He doesn't even wake them up this time, comes back. And it says he did that a third time. He prayed again in the same way. I can see that my will is, is out of a line with yours, Father, and I pray that you would help get it in line because I want to do your will. And then he went to the cross. And prayer really is that. It's trying to find a way to align our will with God. That's what it is before anything else. That's why there should be a lot more listening than talking when we pray. 
That's why we can't just come to the God with all of our needs. He knows what we need and he does care about those things. But the priority in prayer is not your needs, it's God's desires. It's God's will. And sometimes God's will is going to line up with what you want. Sometimes you'll bring your list to the Lord and be like, Lord, here's my list. What's your list? And you look on the list and you'll be like, hey, they're all lined up. Most of the time, because I know you people. I read your emails. No, just kidding. Most of the time we're going to come and we're lucky if we've got one thing on our list that's the same as on his list. And as we get more formed into the image of Christ, hopefully we add more of those things. But that's the beauty of it is when our lists line up, now we're praying in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you pray in my name, you will get everything you ask. But it's not praying in your name. It's not praying according to your character and wants and desires. When you start to learn how to pray in accordance with the character, wants, and will of God the Father, you're going to start seeing your prayers be powerful and come to pass. Kurt Cotter knows how to do that. We had these prayer nights, these eclectic prayer nights. One of them, there was this middle prayer night where it took a lot of courage. People had to stand up. People had to pray out loud. Kurt said he had been praying earlier and spending time with the Father, and he said the Father told him that he wanted to heal some people. So Kurt gets up here on this platform, looks at all the people and says, there's some people supposed to get healed tonight. And I'm like, oh, I'm so nervous now. Okay, I know God can do it and he wants to do it, but oh, Lord. And so he has people stand up if they have an elbow or a knee or a, no, pain, not just if you have elbows or knees, and, and a back or neck, whatever it was. And so like, there's like 30 or 40 people stand up and I'm like, look how courageous these people are. I'm scared to death that some of them are gonna go home confused. And sure enough, Kurt prayed and he had us pray three times, which is interesting because that's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. He said, three times I prayed for God to remove the thorn from my flesh. We don't know what it was, whether it was a physical ailment, whether it was a, you know, kind of a temptation thing, or whether it was an emotional or mental health issue. We don't know what it is. But three times he prayed and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. He got an answer, not the answer he wanted, but he realized that God was saying, hey, it's going to be better for you in the world, Paul, if you learn to experience my grace in this pain than if I was to heal you, which is a very hard lesson to learn. But we look at the life of Paul and we say, wow, that's awesome. So here we are, these people are standing and, and he's saying, okay, now I want everyone to gather around and pray for the people. And we prayed three times and then at the end, Kurt was like, all right, did anybody get healed? And like four people's hands went up and everybody else's hands don't, didn't go up. And then we we're kind of out of time, so we dismissed and I just went home going, what? And this is, this is me, I get a little weird and kind of skeptical and like, I gotta figure out. So I tracked those people down, not in a creepy way, but I just found out, I did, I tracked them down. I'm a pastor, I can track people down. And uh, so I tracked him down, and, and basically one guy got healed of his ankles. He had been a problem off and on for years, but it had been real bad in the last two months. He pray, that night he was prayed for, and he started moving around. He felt some popping, and, and what hurts, used to hurt was not hurting anymore. And then it's been like three weeks, and he's still feeling good. He was using a cane at that point. And he said the healing has been a new addition to his relationship with God and has jumpstarted a new pursuit, a new desire to pursue God for him. Another guy got his elbow healed up. Um, for months he had elbow pain. He couldn't work or do a push-up. This was a guy not doing a push-up. It's like, it's embarrassing, man. One push-up. Like, come on. One push-up. But he couldn't do one push-up, um, and he couldn't straighten it out. But that night, as he got prayed for, he kind of stretched it out, and it went the whole way. And he was, he's got a lot more faith than me. So after the service, he went straight to the gym and started working out. But he's like, I got to do a push-up, man. Get my man card back. 
Um, and then it was still feeling good, you know, through to today. Um, and he said that the, the healing um, has made him trust Jesus a bit more. And it also checked in his spirit that he should be praying more often. And then this other guy had pain in his neck and it had been chronic for 10 years. Um, he had a degenerative disc in his neck and he had been having headaches every day. And uh, after that night, um, he hasn't had any headaches or any pain at all. And he said that there was something inside that said, I believe God can work for other people, but maybe not for me. And then God kind of changed the story there a little bit. And then there was a couple other people I know that didn't raise their hand. One of them didn't even stand up. One of my buddies had a torn ACL, and he came to the prayer meeting that night, and Kurt was like, if you got a knee problem, stand up. And I looked over at him, and he wasn't standing. I was like, what? Come on, man. And yet he did end up telling me later that he was really kind of like, you know, torn up inside because he's like, am I supposed to stand? But he didn't know if he should stand. And so he said he prayed, and he felt like the Lord said, you don't need to stand. And... And I thought, I was like, okay, is this a cop-out? But he said that no, because he, he had surgery scheduled the next week, and he had actually been wavering a lot, not knowing what he should do, if he should go through with the surgery. And so when he said, like the Lord said, no, you don't need to stand, he got this overwhelming sense of peace that he was heading in the right direction. And so the Lord spoke to him in that way. And there was another lady, there's, a lot, there's some other stories. I ended up getting all these stories. And I was like, yeah, God's so good to speak to us and come through for us. And in the end, there were some people that actually got healed. Like when they came with their list, like, oh, my ankle. God was like, check it out. Ankle's on my list too. Bam, here it is. <laughs> now, I don't know how to get what I want on God's list. <laughs> that's, that's like, you're gonna have to go to another church for that. Probably some new age spiritual one that'll teach you that, but it's not true. It's not true. Just don't believe it. But if, I mean, whatever. <laughs> but that's not what our relationship's God's of. Our, our job is to go and figure out what God's list, what's on God's list. And that's what Jesus taught us, how he prayed. That's the way that we're supposed to pray too. And this has become really heavy for me in a couple times in my life. And we'll close with this. But my mom uh, was diagnosed with cancer. She's 53 years old, um, which sounded a little older when I was younger, but now that I'm 42, it's like, holy moly, that's way too young. And, uh, and it had metastasized to her brain within three months, and I remember I was, I was by her bedside, and uh, she was not yet um, fully in hospice, and she wasn't yet um, kind of medicated. And I remember talking to her and just saying, Lord, um, I need you to speak to me. And I, and I wasn't hearing from the Lord, so I asked her, I was like, what's God speaking to you about all this? And she told me the Lord spoke to her really clearly at one time when she was praying. And, and what he told her was that his power is over her to heal her. And, um, and it kind of, my heart leapt a little bit, like, so he, he's planning to heal you? And she said, no, that wasn't at all what he was saying. What he was saying was his power is over me to heal me. It's not like he's far away. It's not like he's unable. But his power is so close and yet he's withholding because he's got something better. And she was able to lean into that and have peace as she finished up her time here. And that gave me a lot of peace and has given me a lot of peace. It didn't work at first. At first I was, it was, I was very upset. But over time, what the Lord spoke to her and gave her peace has begun to really give peace to my heart. And so I often ask people when they're in a tough place, what's the Lord saying to you? Even more so than what do you want God to do?
And then it came to me in my own life where I was told by some doctors that um, the baby in my wife's womb was, born, was going to be born with spina bifida and wouldn't be able to walk, and then they listed a whole, other, whole lot of other things. And uh, so I prayed. And I felt like the Lord told me he was going to heal her. And again, my heart leapt, kind of confusion and nervousness all at the same time. And I said, okay, Lord, well, when are you going to heal her? And he kind of, I felt like what happened was he said, when do you want me to heal her? And I was like, go ahead, let's 